Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Welcome back to the Fantasy Baseball Beat, part of the Triple Play Fantasy Network. Thank you for joining us. I am your host, Chris Torres. You can find me on Twitter at Torres Takes. I'm joined by my co-host, senior writer at Fantrax, Mike Carter. No Carlos today as the winter have, of sickness has claimed him as well. He's feeling a little bit under the weather today. We miss you, bud. Hope you are recovering well. Mike, we are talking LA Angels today, a team that has two of the best players on the planet, but still has not been able to make its way into the postseason in recent years. To help us look at their offseason and preview the year ahead, we have two fantastic guests. First, we've got Jeff Fletcher, Angels beat writer at SoCal News Group. He's also the author of Showtime, a great book about Shohei Otani. He's been writing about baseball for a long time, and I'm sure he's got some great information to share with us. We're also going to be joined later for our fantasy follow-up segment by a man they call Cool Whip, writer at Razzball. He's a diehard Angels fan and does some great work over at Razzball, so looking forward also to speaking with him. Mike, how you feeling about this interview coming up with Jeff Fletcher? I'm really excited. I've been a big fan of Jeff's for a long time. I've followed his work. He's one of the first people that I ever followed on Twitter going back all those years ago when I gave myself the worst absolute ha- handle of all time um, on, on Twitter. But I'm excited to hear about that. I, I got some questions for this team this year. I think it's going to be a really interesting team to, to watch. And uh, it's three degrees here outside of Chicago right now. So I could use a little baseball talk, talk a little bit about spring training and everything that's coming up down the pike. So, Well, we're, we're getting there. It's coming up soon. So we're going to start out. Let's bring Jeff in. We're going to start out, as usual, by digging deep, trying to find you the best information in the fantasy uh, baseball space. Let's welcome Jeff Fletcher to the show. Jeff, thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing well, thanks. So Mike mentioned it, spring training. I want to ask you before we we get into uh, the questions that we have for you, how are you feeling a, a couple of weeks out from spring training? I know you've been you've been doing this for a long time. I believe you've been writing about baseball, correct me if I'm wrong, since 1997? That is correct. Wow. Uh, so, you know, after all this time, tell me, what is it like these last few weeks before spring training starts? Is it exciting? Is it, you know, like, ah, oh, going through the grind again? Where where are you at right now? Well, you just try to enjoy every last day of uh, relaxing and uh, just kind of being able to lay around and uh, do stuff around the house and, uh, you know, do little errands before it gets to be basically working every day. Uh, yeah. So, uh but it is exciting to to get to spring training, get to work again, get to see a lot of people. It's uh, it's kind of a mixed bag. Wow! And that is Zoe. That's Zoe. <laughs> That's Zoe, <laughs> your dog. Awesome okay. Dog, so. Sounds like a ghost in the background, but yeah. <laughs> it's All right. So yeah. So you're back. Going to be back on the grind here, but there is some excitement to to see you know some of uh, your colleagues, and yeah, I, I totally get that. So you've been on the beat or writing about baseball since 97. You've been on the Angels beat for eight seasons. Is that correct? For the Orange uh, this County is going to be the 11th. Oh, 11th. Okay, wow. was the first, so this will be number 11 coming up. Okay, okay. So I'm sure you've got some some great information to share with us. I also want to – I'm just interested in, in your experience, given how long you've been around the game and, 
and how much really history you've seen covering baseball. I mean, you were covering the Moneyball A's. You covered mm-hmm. Barry Bonds' Chase, uh, Trout, Otani. So let me ask you, what has it been like for you to cover just so much amazing baseball history? Well, I mean, uh, I consider myself pretty lucky. There's not too many guys who've seen two 600 homers, and I uh, saw Barry Bonds and Albert Pujols hit number 600. Uh, I saw Shohei Otani uh, pretty much his entire career. I've seen almost all of Mike Trout's career, except for his rookie year. And, uh, you know, I saw a lot of Barry Bonds stuff at the end of his career, too. So uh, I've been pretty lucky to uh, to see a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, and, and you brought up Otani. Like I said, you, you wrote a book on him. So tell me, like, I mean, he's just a marvel. I, I think we're going to look back generations from now and, and, and we're just going to marvel at, at the seasons uh, that he's put up so far. And I'm hoping that he can continue what he's doing. But what is it about Otani? I mean, obviously, he's blessed with amazing physical abilities. But tell me a little bit about Otani, the person. What makes him uh, who he is? Well, he's incredibly driven and he's incredibly focused on uh, being the best. And obviously, uh, it takes a lot more than just talent to do what he did because he obviously had all this talent in his first three years in the major leagues and, uh, it didn't happen because, you know, he had various injuries or there were other, you know, things in the game that he needed to adjust to. So I think one of the most incredible things about him is his ability to adapt and improve and, uh, kind of turn that talent into performance. So I think that it's, uh, it's really something I hope that people pick up the book. That they, they learn, you know, how he did it. And it really makes him appreciate that it is not just that he just woke up and had this incredible <laughs> talent and he went out and was able to do what he did. And it's, it's really incredible that he does what he, he can do. And I don't think we should take it for granted. The fact that he's done it twice in a row, I don't think we should just assume he's going to do it again. So mm-hmm. I think we really need to appreciate when he does it. And, uh, you know, if he does it again, appreciate it again. Yep. Absolutely. And just to plug your book. Again, the title is Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani in the greatest baseball season ever played. Um, you can find it on Amazon anywhere. So uh, definitely check that out. Mike, let's uh, let's get into discussing a little bit more about uh, the Angels this upcoming season. You're going to ask a little bit about their pitching rotation. Yeah. So, Jeff, you know, I think a lot of people um, looking at the Angels in the offseason saw some of these additions that they've made free agent wise and. One of the bigger ones that they made was adding Tyler Anderson to the rotation this offseason. So they're going to be adding him to Otani, who we've been talking about here. Patrick Sandoval, who seems like he's got quite a bit of upside, especially in fantasy circles, and Reed Detmers. So it makes it look like the Angels actually might have some answers in their rotation, finally, after all these years of kind of waiting on some of these guys. What do you think of the rotation as you guys head to spring training here? Well, I think there's there's been kind of a narrative around the Angels that, oh, they don't have enough pitching, they don't have enough pitching, they don't have enough pitching. And that was true for a lot of the years of their struggle. But last year, their rotation was actually in the upper half of rotations in majors and, you know, before adding Tyler Anderson. So, uh, you know, you mentioned Sandoval, Detmers, uh, Jose Suarez also kind of came mm-hmm. through and, and had a nice bounce back. And uh, they still have Griffin Canning kind of looming out there. And he was hurt for all of last year. But he had been pretty good, uh, you know, in parts of 19 and 20 and uh, a little bit at the beginning of 21 before he got hurt. So I don't think they're really counting on him. Uh, mm-hmm. If they get anything from him, it's a bonus. But he's a guy who uh, has done it. And, you know, if he's your sixth starter, then, you know, they do have the chance to, to have a pretty solid rotation. 
Do you think that there's a chance that they could go with a six-man rotation this year? Oh, they're absolutely going with a six-man rotation. That they're going to do that for sure. Etched in stone, uh, that is what they're going to do, yes. That's going to be really interesting. Well, they have yeah. to. They sort of have to do it with Otani because yeah. he's never started a game in the major leagues on four days rest, so they pretty much have him go on five days rest. And the other guys are all pretty young, too, uh, except for Anderson. So I think they just feel like, you know, and they did perform pretty well with the extra rest before. So uh, I think they feel like it's worked. And, you know, they don't have, you know, if they had like Max Scherzer in the rotation, I'm sure they would have him pitch every fourth day. Sure. But they don't have that guy. So the guys they have seem to be okay with, with the extra rest. And uh, I think that's what they're going to go with. Jeff, and who do you think fills that? Oh, I'm sorry, sorry ahead, Mike. I was going to ask about the um, who you think is going to fill that six starter role. Well, right now, uh, if you put a gun to my head and force me to pick somebody, I would say probably Tucker Davidson uh, would start the year just because he's out of options. Um, but there's also Chase Silseth uh, mm-hmm. who had been had some moments last year. He was barely out of the draft. He was just drafted in 2021, and um, uh, Griffin Canning, obviously, and uh, Chris Rodriguez, who also had uh, shown some flashes back in 2021 before he got hurt. So I think the highest upside of all those guys is Cannon. Uh, but, you know, he's just a huge question because he hasn't pitched in a year and a half, basically. So the uh, the short answer is I really don't know. But uh, Tucker Davidson is healthy and out of options. So if you're going to force me to put somebody at the top of the list, I would put him. That's a good choice. Um Question, you know, a lot of people who, who, um, kind of follow the Angels loosely, you know, I'm, I'm out here in the Midwest and you see them out on ESPN every once in a while. And I think a lot of people wonder, Jeff, and I don't know if you have an answer to this one either, but how long do you think Otani can do this? I mean, doing both things. I mean, there are, there are, I hear people say all the time, like, is he a better hitter than he is a pitcher? Is he a better pitcher than he is a hitter? And do you think that he can continue to do this in, you know, like, with an undetermined amount of uh, time with that going on. Like it seems like it would be really hard to do as he got older. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the, the $500 million question for uh, (laughs) whatever team signs him next. Uh, There's no precedent for this. I mean, Mm -hmm. Babe Ruth is the guy everybody talks to. He did it for two years and Otani is now starting year three. And uh, so can he do this for 10 more years? I doubt it. Uh, But is it, Three more years, eight more years, six more years. I have no idea. So uh, it's certainly going to be interesting to watch uh, as he goes through his career. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, his next contract and how a team figures out how you're going to value him when there's no precedent for him being able to do this, you know, throughout the term of uh, whatever that contract's going to be. Now, you know, Otani, so I... I wondering if you have a little bit of insight into what is he what does he value more or like as he gets older what do you see him gravitating more towards being a pitcher or being a hitter well he's better as a pitcher uh there's no question about that he has never really struggled in the major leagues as a pitcher he's only had injuries affecting his pitching as a hitter he has gone through some ups and downs he's had you know there were parts of 2019 where he was not a good hitter at all there were parts at the end of 2021 even the MVP season where he had a pretty big slump as a hitter he's never really had that as a pitcher I I don't think he's ever had three bad starts in a row so uh he's definitely better as a pitcher 
Okay, so that answers a little bit about, uh, so we got some information there about Otani, um, about the rotation. It sounds like you think Tucker Davidson, though it's kind of up in the air, is kind of the best bet given his lack of options, um, that he will start in that sixth spot in the rotation. But want to transition to the bullpen. You know, in fantasy baseball, uh, saves is a big deal, and we're always trying to handicap who is going to uh, emerge at the top of the bullpen hierarchy. And right now, a lot of people are pegging Carlos Estevez. Uh, came over from the Rockies as a free agent addition. Um, I was, I'm not sure if it was a free agent or a trade, but either way, um, a lot of people are putting him in the closers role. What are your thoughts? Do you think the, the Angels are the type of team that's going to uh, settle on one guy? And do you think Estevez uh, is the favorite for that job right now? He's certainly the favorite as they go into spring training. Uh, I think that they, they saw in his, you know, repertoire and the way he pitched in Colorado that he had closer stuff. I mean, I think one of the things they were most encouraged by is his slider. If you look at the, his slider's performance on the road and at home, mm-hmm. the swing and miss rate was much, much better on the road. So I just think that's the thin air in Colorado really affected the pitch. And, uh, the Angels feel like you get him out of that environment and he can be just a really dominating pitcher. So I think they're going to give him the first shot, but obviously he's not, you know, established enough as a closer that you would, you know, just let him go at it indefinitely if it doesn't work out. So, uh, you know, they, they do have some other guys, uh, Jimmy Hergit, uh, Ryan Tapera. Those guys got some saves last year. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, if it doesn't work out with Estevez, I think you could see either of those guys getting some opportunities. All right. Transitioning now to the position player side of things. Uh, one player that was a fantasy darling last year. One of those breakout hitters that people got in, uh, the late rounds of their drafts was Taylor Ward. Mm-hmm. Um, and now people, it seems like a lot of fantasy players are believing, uh, in his breakout. So I ask you, Jeff, should we believe? Well, I would say yes. And, uh, the reason for that is if you look at last year, he was really, really incredible at the beginning of the season, and then he got hurt. He ran into the fence and suffered a neck stinger that uh, didn't really cause so much pain that he had to go on the injury list, but it really affected his swing and his strength, and he kind of went in a slump for about two and a half months in the middle of the season. But then at the end of the season in September, he was great again. He was just as good as he was in April. So I think that is a reason to believe that he really does have some swing things figured out, and it was really just the injury that ended up, you know, knocking those numbers down. And so you look at the end of the year, he had like a 830 OPS or something like that. And you think, well, maybe that's what he is. But but healthy Taylor Ward had a 900 OPS. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, there is certainly a chance to believe that there is maybe some more upside there even. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, Jeff, one of the other guys there that's kind of got some question marks around him is Jared Walsh. Uh, if you go back to his 2021, he had a really great season, kind of unexpected, I think, by a lot of people. 29 home runs and 98 RBIs. Last year was a little bit of a different story. What do you think is happening there, and do you think that he can bounce back this year? Well, he also had an injury problem last year. He had a thoracic outlet syndrome uh, surgery late in the season, and I think that was bothering him you know, for maybe a month or two months before it even happened, before the surgery. So I think the jury is still out as to how much uh, of his decline last year was because of the injury and how much of it was just, you know, the league figuring him out a little more or him slumping a little more. He's always had some trouble against lefties, and the Angels do have enough uh, extra 
players on the depth chart this year that they could really just platoon him and have him only play against righties, which could make his performance better just in terms of the rate numbers. But then, you know, the, the volume is probably not going to be as much. So uh, I think probably it's realistic to say he's going to be better than he was in 22, probably not quite as good as he was in 21. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, one uh, one ask about the catching situation with the team. Uh, Logan O'Hop is is someone that fantasy players are are pretty excited about, given his minor league numbers. Um, so if you could tell us, Jeff, how you see the playing time, um, how they're going to split that playing time between him and Max Stassi, and just in general, what do you think um, we should be expecting from Logan O'Hop this season? Uh, well, I mean, Logan O'Hop is their number one prospect. Uh, overall and they think he is going to be their catcher of the future the question is when is that future going to start uh i don't think that he's going to be the everyday catcher on opening day i think he could make the opening day roster and be the backup and kind of get eased in slowly uh you know the thing with catchers is there's enough playing time for the backup that even if you're not the starter you're still going to get enough playing time to get some experience whereas if you were like you wouldn't want your top prospect to be on the team as the fourth outfielder playing once a week, but you could have him on the team as the backup catcher playing twice a week or three times a week and uh, still get some development. So I think probably, uh, well, I don't know, probably there's a very good chance that that happens. Uh, they also have Matt Thais who's out of options. So if Ohapi shows any kind of uh, needing any more seasoning in spring training, uh, they would probably start him the minors and have Thais as the backup. But uh, but if Ohapi looks like he's ready, then then I would guess they'll go with Stassi and Ohapi, and probably Stassi playing sixty five percent of the time, and Ohapi playing thirty five percent, and and let their performance dictate where they go from there. Well, one one other guy that I had a question about too, and kind of talking about Walsh's struggles uh, is Joe Adele. You know, I, they they've got it looks like they've got their outfield kind of set uh, going into spring training here with the addition of Renfro, obviously Trout and Ward. Where does Adele fit into this and why has he struggled so much in the big leagues, Is in your opinion? That's a great question. Uh, he just has really not put it together. He, he's got a big swing, and uh, he strikes out a lot. <clears throat> Defensively, he's not been, you know, as good as they hoped. He has made some progress, but he still, you know, has some issues out there. Uh, he's got tremendous power, but uh, he just, you know, the short answer is he just strikes out too much. So mm-hmm. what they would really like to see him do is just shorten his swing and almost think of himself as like a punch and Judy hitter. And he's still got so much natural power that he will still hit home runs. Mm-hmm. So he will eliminate a lot of the strikeouts if he does that. So uh, they're still trying to get him to do it. He's got option. He's got another option this year. And uh, it seems like he's going to start in AAA barring an injury because they also have Brett Phillips to be the fourth outfielder right. of the season. So, uh, you know, there's no – reason to do anything with him for now because he's got uh like he's got that option he's still young he's 23 years old i think they still have hope for him but uh, he's definitely going to have to to show something in triple a and then in the opportunities he gets in the majors he's going to have to show something there too do you think he's going to be a trade piece at some point this year well i mean he's got to play better first of all because you you don't want to trade him when his value is at the bottom of where it is so so basically he's got to play better period, either to help the Angels or to be a valuable trade piece for the Angels. So one way or the other, he's going to have to figure some stuff out. Um, if he continues to play this way, then it would be more of a, a dump than a trade. I mean, it wouldn't really be like a huge amount of value going 
the other way. It would just be like, well, let's give him a change of scenery and maybe get some other team's change of scenery guy back in, in exchange. Well, we'll trade Lori Garcia. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, being serious again here for a second. Uh, Anthony Rendon, you know, they spent a lot of money bringing him in a couple of years ago, and he's done nothing but battle injuries as well. Jeff, do you see him being an everyday player again? Is he going to be healthy enough to be able to contribute this year for the Angels? Well, he is now. He made it back at the end of the season and actually played the last few games just to kind of give himself peace of mind going into the offseason that he was 100% which was not the case at the end of 21. He had a hip surgery in uh, 2021, and it was still kind of rehabbing from that all the way through the winter, even into the spring of 22. So he's starting off 23 better than he started off 22. Uh, I think the Angels are still going to give him breaks, uh, not expect him to play 162 games or maybe even 150. Uh, maybe 140 is more realistic because they got Gio Urshela, they got Brandon Drury. They do have lots of guys now. This is part of their plan of the offseason was to have depth so they can be able to replace guys when they're hurt and also give guys enough days off to prevent them from getting hurt. So uh, I think that the hope is that Rendon is healthy enough to to go out there and perform at his normal level over, you know, 140, 145 games. I hope so. I'd love to see him be healthy. He's such a good ball player. I really like to see him be healthy and contribute to that team. He seems like a really good guy, too. Do you think so? You brought up Brandon Drury. Do you think they brought him in with the idea that he's going to be playing every day, whether it's at second, third? Uh, they're just going to get his bat in the lineup, or do you see him kind of in and out and in maybe like um, you know a part-time role? I think he's going to play most every day. Uh, okay. Like I said, not he's not. They don't have anybody that they're counting on for 162 games. I think that was okay. the point of, of building so much depth. Um, but they do like the, that he can play different positions. You could probably see him play first base against lefties, you know, when, uh, instead of Walsh. And I think probably most of his action is going to be at second base, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he can also play third and, uh, even in a pinch, he could play shortstop, although I don't think they'd want to do that too often. But, uh, mm -hmm. I would say most of his action would be at second base and, uh, some first base against lefties. Gotcha. So one question I wanted to ask you was about any other like health related concerns with any players as we head into spring training. And I got thinking about this, Mike, because we did our Mets episode uh, a week or two ago. And right after we released it, uh, or the day of, um, we found out Starley Marte was having core surgery or he had it in the offseason. We didn't know if he'd be ready for spring training. So I'm like, you know, we got to ask, are there any of these guys who maybe it's a little bit under the radar? that we don't know about maybe had like a, a lingering injury uh, throughout the season and, and maybe had like an off-season procedure to address it. Uh, is there anybody on the Angels, Jeff, who you think um, had maybe their off-season training impacted or or their readiness for spring training might not be on track? Or is everything that's, uh, that, uh, that's out there uh, pretty much what it is at this point? Yeah, there's no real... Uh kind of hidden injuries, I would say. David Fletcher is a guy who missed a lot of last year with, with injuries that were kind of nagging him. And I think that the Angels feel like he can perform a lot better. If you look back at what he did in 18, 19, and 20, he was a pretty good ball player. Uh, they feel like if he can be totally healthy, that he can produce a lot better. So uh, he was healthy at the end of last season, so we'll see uh, You know how he looks coming in. They said he's... He's done a lot of work this winter and uh, has gotten himself in really good shape, stronger. So we'll see how that works out. And then I think that the biggest questions on the pitching staff are Griffin Canning and Chris Rodriguez. Because, like, those two guys, like we talked about before, 
have been successful in the big leagues before and but they've been gone for a year and a half now so uh you know they're big question marks but they are potential uh big pluses if they are healthy that's for sure but Jeff, tell us what do you think the the lineup is going to look like on opening day if, if you had to guess let's see i'll go taylor ward uh left field then uh Trout, center field, Otani, DH, Rendon, third, Renfro and right, probably uh, Walsh at first, and then either Fletcher or Renifo at short, and uh, either Stassi or Ohapi catch him. Okay. Was that nine? Did I, did I miss anybody? No, you got uh, them all. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's my best guess. Okay. And I noticed that you left Brandon Drury out of there. So that's got me a little bit like. Uh, oh, wait. See, I did leave somebody out. Yeah. Brandon Drury would be at second. Probably put him uh, put him sixth and Walsh okay. seventh. Okay. Wow. You, and you sure you're not cheating looking at roster resource? Because that's the exact line. He is roster resource. Right yeah. Well, they probably <laughs> took it from me when I tweeted it. For probably. Sure. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Okay. So. Uh, Taylor Ward leading off, so that is Mike. That'll yeah, be, he was a pretty good leadoff. He's really uh, disciplined. He he gets as good on base percentage. Um, he runs pretty well. I think he's their most uh, natural leadoff hitter. Okay, I mean that's gonna be it's gonna be a bonanza in the runs category for him if he's mm-hmm. hitting behind uh, or in front of Trout and Otani, and uh, even those other Rendon if he's healthy, Renfro like that. That's a good lineup. Yeah, they're going to score some Could runs. Be, certainly, if, yeah. if they have all the guys yeah, healthy, yeah. performing yep. at their level and not hurt, mm-hmm. should be good. But yeah, a long way to oh, go. Yeah. Also wanted to ask about the, the rule changes and, and how you see this team adapting to that. Um, I'm wondering, too, like if you know, if you could guess about any players that would be uh, either bothered by the rule changes or look to take advantage, like, for example, someone who you could see be more aggressive on the base pass because now the bases are bigger. Uh, any thoughts on that? Um, I think Shohei Otani is going to be an interesting guy because really all three rule changes apply to him because mm-hmm. on the mound, he's pretty slow. Uh, he's one of the slowest workers, and he's going to have to speed it up. Now, I have no doubt that he has been working all winter and he knows this is coming and he knows he's got to do it so he's he's worked at it and at the plate obviously he's a left-handed hitter so getting rid of the shift uh certainly could help him although he's more of a guy that hits the ball in the air than on the ground anyway so i don't think the shift really killed him as much as some other guys mm-hmm. and uh he's really fast too but he's just never been a very good base dealer in terms of his percentage uh but now you know with with having bigger bases Plus the the pitch timer, which maybe gives base runners a little better chance to time you know the pitcher. Uh, we could see him maybe pick up some more stolen bases. So I think really all three rule changes could help him. And uh, and Jared Walsh is obviously the biggest guy who we think about with the shift that uh, could be you know helped by uh, by not seeing that uh, you know as a left handed pull hitter. I did notice that Otani was a little bit less aggressive as the year went on. Um, in terms of stolen bases, any any thoughts on why that was the case? Were they just trying to preserve him, or uh, any thoughts there? I mean, I think it's a combination of uh, first of all, he just hasn't been great at it. He gets thrown out a lot, and uh, they are trying to to keep him healthy. Yeah. And as you get you know more into the season, and it starts to be you know they're out of it, 
there's certainly no reason to have him going out there doing things that could potentially hurt him, uh, you know, at that point in the season. But he, he's definitely fast, and uh, I think that he's he's definitely got the ability to steal bases, and it would be interesting to see if he steals a little more, if if, uh, if he learns more about it and they get in these big situations where stolen base can really uh, make a difference. For sure. So, Jeff, we're kind of coming to the end of our time here with you. Uh, thanks again for joining us tonight. We know how busy you are getting ready for the season. So we have a few more questions that are kind of we call our lightning round. So just a couple of questions to ask you and uh, just whatever answer you want to give and feel comfortable sharing, go for it. So my I'm leading off the lightning round today with asking you, in all the years that you've been covering baseball, who's the favorite player that you've ever covered? Um, you know, Houston Street is uh, certainly up there. He comes to mind because he was just on the uh, the Hall of Fame ballot. But uh, he's a guy that uh, you can always talk to about anything. And sometimes you would even have to make him stop talking, which is <laughs> a great problem to have as a, as a writer. So uh, he was definitely somebody that I enjoyed covering. Cool. So there's obviously perks to being uh, a beat writer. Uh, but I'm wondering, and I haven't asked any of our guests this so far, but just interested to hear, especially given your experience, what is the most difficult part of being a beat writer? Uh, the most difficult part is definitely just trying to come up with new ideas all the time because yeah. you're really writing, you know, 250 stories a year about the same team. And really there's, you know, 15 players on the team that people care about. So yeah. you got to figure out how to keep doing something new, something that's not in all the other papers, something that the fans don't know that they couldn't have figured out from watching on TV. So that's the thing that uh, keeps me up at night sometimes or that I yeah. wonder as I'm driving into the ballpark, like, what the heck am I going to write today? So uh, that's the hard part. And to follow up on that, uh, what gives you, when you're in that spot where you're just you're kind of stuck, what gives you that creative spark to, to find something to write about? Uh, when in doubt, just start talking to people. Just go up okay. to, to people and just start making conversation. Say hi and... Uh, and the, the more you talk to people, the more chance there is of, uh, of a story coming out. I remember, uh, one time I went up to, uh, I think it was Joe Smith, uh, Angels reliever. And I said, Hey, Joe, I've got nothing to write about today. You got anything? He said, Well, I'm throwing a new pitch. And it was just, just like that. I had yep. a story. So you, you never know what happens unless you ask. That's right. amazing. Uh, Jeff, my, my next question is, is there a player on the 40 man roster? that you think might surprise this season that's kind of flying under the radar at this point? I think Patrick Sandoval, I don't know if he counts as under the radar anymore because he's been pretty good for two years in a row, but I think still a lot of people are not aware of him. But mm -hmm. the fact that he has had two good years in a row and uh, is a pretty good indication that he's for real and he's still at the age that he could keep getting better. So I think that he might be a guy that really uh, people finally notice him. I was hoping you were going to say Jose Suarez. That's my guy. That's the guy I'll be breaking down in our next segment. He's a guy, um, by the way, that really is going to need to uh, figure some things out with the pitch clock because he is very slow. Okay. So we'll see if that uh, that could be a problem for him this year. We'll see. Gotcha. Yeah, I was really encouraged by some of the improvements he made over the second half last season. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, uh, an interesting point. So definitely have to... Uh, consider that. Uh, next question is your favorite city, uh, uh, visiting city to go to. Favorite city or favorite ballpark? Well, I guess both. Okay. My favorite ballpark is San Francisco. Mm. Hands down. That is the number one ballpark. 
And uh, I think my favorite city to go to is probably San Diego. Uh, pretty close by, but uh, you cannot ever go wrong going to San Diego. I noticed uh, that you yeah, didn't but... say guaranteed rate field. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. It's a scary place to go sometimes. Jeff, my last question for you. Uh, again, we know that you've been covering baseball for a really long time and probably started when you were about 12, right? Because you're a young guy. But What's the coolest baseball moment you've ever witnessed in the time that you've been writing? Uh, I think probably just the collection of Barry Bond stuff uh, that I saw. That uh, even though yes, he was on steroids, uh, still to watch the the numbers he put up in those seasons were just insane. I mean, if you look back, he had like a fourteen hundred OPS. In some yeah, days. it's amazing. And, and you know, he he was walked. Like, 230 times and like 110 times intentionally. That's just incredible. And uh, obviously what Shohei Otani has done is also very incredible. Both of those things are, are hard to match. It was mind-boggling with Bonds, wasn't it? Like people would make like one mistake a game and he would absolutely deposit it. I mean, it was just remarkable to watch. I've never seen anything like it either. Yeah. He had a 370 batting average one of those years that he had like 48 homers too. It's just, just insane. It's remarkable. I think I know your answer to this question, but I'll ask it anyway. Is he a Hall of Famer, Barry Bonds? Oh, I voted for him every time. Okay. So yep. I don't. Uh, I, agree. I don't try to play morality police with my ballot. It's hard enough to figure out the best players on their statistics. I'm not going to like start trying to judge their character. Gotcha. Yep. That makes sense. Well, Jeff, thank you again for coming on with us. This was great. Uh, please tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and where they can find your work. Uh, Jeff Fletcher OCR on Twitter is probably the best place to, to find links to everything that I write. And, uh, certainly people should buy the book, Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played. You can uh, pick it up on Amazon and, uh, and, you know, it's still in, you know, Barnes and Nobles and bookstores like that. All right. Very good. Well, thank you again. And we are going to take a quick break. Welcome back. We have just finished our interview with Jeff Fletcher. I thought really, really informative. Mike, um, tell us, what are you taking away from the interview that you think uh, fantasy managers uh, can apply to their analysis uh, as they get ready for drafts here? Well, I think two things, really, for me. I mean, I think the Angels rotation is going to be far better than it's been in years past. And I think that there's definitely some guys in that rotation, all of them actually, uh, the, at least the top four, that people would be interested in having on their fantasy teams in some way, shape, or form. And I think the other thing that I was really taken by was the number of players on this team that are looking for a return to health uh, and, and feeling better and, and maybe getting back to uh, some past levels of performance. And uh, they, they are relying on a lot of these guys to come back and be healthy and it seems like they've added some depth, but is is it going to be enough? I guess time will tell us. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned uh, the health, and that's going to be again the key for this team. Uh, Anthony Rendon, Jared Walsh, like, can these guys get back to what they were? I mean, Rendon, I'll be honest, I'm kind of, I've given up at this point, just given the the myriad of injuries that he's experienced. Um, not someone that I'm going to be buying into, but yeah. Uh, if things click, if those guys stay healthy, this is going to be a really formidable team. 
Uh, for me, the big thing, and I know we always focus on closers, uh, you know, in fantasy and trying to find saves. And I think, uh, Jeff talking about Carlos Estevez and pointing out, and I know you'll talk a little bit more about him, uh, in a few minutes here, Mike, but he did point out about the slider, how well it performed outside of cores. And it sounds like the Angels, uh, saw that. And that was something that they really wanted to take advantage of because the guy has good stuff. Um, so it seemed like Jeff was leaning towards him being the guy and given where he's going in drafts and we're going to get into more ADP talk, but, um, you know, it seems like he could be a good investment at his current price as like a second closer. So, um, I found that interesting. Patrick Davidson, I'm sorry, Tucker Davidson. Um, is, is Patrick Davidson a real person? I don't know. I'm sure there's many Patrick Davidsons in the world. Yeah. I don't think he plays for the Angels, but. Yeah. All right. We'll go, we'll go with the the right name. His name is Tucker Davidson. And uh, it seemed like Jeff, uh, I think it was interesting, pointed out he doesn't have an option and probably the leader in the clubhouse for that sixth spot in the rotation. Another guy going super late. So um, maybe somebody, if you're just looking for innings, um, you know, he could be someone to target. And the fact that they're going to go for sure, it sounded like Jeff was very confident they're going to go with a six man rotation again. We were used to that last year and we knew that Otani probably wasn't going to get any two start weeks. So just confirming that. And, you know, we got to think about that with guys like Tyler Anderson, Sandoval, uh, Detmers. The fact that they're not going to get those two start weeks, most likely, um, is definitely brings down their value slightly. Uh, but not too much, but just something to consider. And uh, Logan Ohapi. Um, I didn't know his name was Ohapi. I thought it was just <laughs> Ohap. Uh, so that stood out to me. But uh, for real, I wasn't, it didn't sound like he was 100% confident that he's going to start the season with the team. And given where he's going in drafts right now, um, I'd be very reluctant to take him at his current price uh, if if we're not going to see him for a little bit. You know, maybe they do go with a, a Matt Face and a Max Stassi uh, rotation to start the year. And uh, in general, I'm just kind of reluctant to rely on rookie catchers because that is such an adjustment to learn how to play the position while also being a big league hitter. But um, so, again, I thought it was a uh, enjoyable interview and I want to bring on we're going to transition now to more of our fantasy discussion. And uh, to do that, we've got a very special guest. Um, He's a man of mystery. I don't know his real name, but uh, he goes by Cool Whip on Twitter. The dude do, does fantastic work. He writes for Razzball, um, does really good in-depth pieces, funny. Um, so really delighted to have him on because, honestly, I've never even heard him um, on a podcast. Maybe one other podcast, but uh, this man needs to get out there more. People need to recognize what he's doing. Cool Whip, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Hey, Torres, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I need to ask you, what did you do to the Twitter algorithm, man? Because I swear, <laughs> like, you got like like 600-some followers, and okay, that's all right. But given what mm-hmm. the work that you do, mm-hmm. you yeah. should have way – I've been telling you this for a long time. You should have way yeah. more. Um, so I don't, And I'll be honest with you. I was going to tell you this uh, on, you know, just like DM you. I'm like, I never see your tweets on my feed. So I'm like – Yo, this dude did something to the algorithms, family, or talk shit about. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. What know. I don't know, but I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I would we'll say that again. 
I think you can blame Elon Musk for that, honestly. Yeah, I was going to say, um, Elon, if you're listening, I'm sorry for whatever I did. And I will never do it again. <laughs> yeah. I, well, you know what? Maybe I, it's one I, more time. I may reach out to Elon myself and, and get this straightened out here, man. But yeah, you do a lot of cool work, too, with like graphic design. You came yeah. up the mm-hmm. new Razzball logo. That was you, right? Yes, yes. The Razzball logo and, and kind of a lot of the new branding, I've, I've kind of spearheaded that. That's awesome, man. So yeah, you're you're writing, uh, you're doing the graphic design stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, really um, uh, happy to have you on, and I uh, want to ask you about the Angels because yes, uh, I know <laughs> that you are a big fan. You, your actual the name of your account is Otani Stan account. Uh, that's yes. your your Twitter profile mm-hmm. at Cool Whip RB. Um, but uh, tell me a little bit before we get into some ADP analysis. Tell me about your history as an Angels fan. Well, you know, kind of as I told you, you know, why wouldn't I want to come and talk about a, a very hurtful and abusive relationship? <laughs> but so I've been an Angels fan um, since very young, and I can't even tell you exactly where it began because my dad is a Cardinals fan. And um, but he wasn't from California. He moved out there. Um, and ever since I was really young, I always enjoyed going to the, the Angels ballpark and watching the team. And then especially, you know, in my youth and like while I was playing baseball, I got to watch, you know, like Darren Erstad and Tim Salmon and Garrett Anderson kind of come up through the system. And like that, that Angels team, though, that won eons ago. <laughs> um, they were, that was like a farm grown team for the most part. A lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of the key components came up through the system and I, and I got to watch them develop and, and that was, you know, a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed kind of being a part of that. And I don't know, I guess just all the, the mystique surrounding the team and kind of the magic, you know, in part, thanks to Disney, probably the, the angels in the outfield. Yeah, yeah, I, it always kind of captivated me, and so I was always part of that. Even though you know a lot of where I grew up was, you know, a lot probably closer to the Padres. Gotcha. Okay, well, listen, I know you you describe this as an abusive relationship, but um, maybe this is your opportunity. This is like catharsis for you. Maybe you can <laughs> kind of just like get this out there and and do mm-hmm. some. Has some healing, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, I, I I stepped off camera for a sec because I wanted to find you. I want to show you my my Darren Erstad rookie card. Um, oh boy, very nice, baby. I, I'm I, I got to get this graded because who knows? This may pay for my kid's college. There uh, you go. I got a Pinnacle Zenith Darren Erstad. I had a lot of these to be honest. I don't know what happens to the rest. I, I was all in on him, man, when I was collecting cards back then. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, probably not worth the, the paper it's printed on or, or cardboard it's printed on right now. But, uh, that's all right. It's, uh, <laughs> he, had a, he had a couple of great seasons. So I think he had one season where he had like 240 hits, didn't he? Yeah, he wasn't a bad yeah. player for sure. He was a ball player. Yeah. And a punter yeah, on a very football team. And, yeah, and played a key role in the outfield for a long time. Sure yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. Just bringing up those names, just put the smile on my face. Garen Anderson, Tim mm-hmm. Salmon. Like, yeah, I wasn't even an Angels fan, but like that was when I was growing up and really into, mm-hmm. you know, first started getting into baseball. So, yep. 
And I always love to see uh, Scott Shields come out of the bullpen. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Scott was one T. That's right. That's right. And he'd be the guy to remind you of that, too. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. All right. So we're going to leave the 90s Angels in the past and and transition to the 2023 Angels and talk a little bit about um, some players and their their current ADP, according to uh, NFBC. And uh, just get a sense about who you're interested in uh, at their current price. So um, I'll throw this out there for both of you. Everyone wants to to answer. Which Angels player are you most interested in at their current ADP and why? Well, you know, I think for me, looking at looking at where we're at here with uh, the squad and the different guys that are that I have interest in, I, I'm I'm looking more probably. Obviously, we know Trout, Trout and Otani are what they are, and I, I really am looking at the pitching side of things. And the one guy that I'm really really interested in this year is Sandoval. I mean, I think he, yeah. he looks like the type of guy that can could take a step forward. Um, he's still only 26. He's had two pretty good seasons in a row, as Jeff pointed out. Very close last year. Yeah, you know, and 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 you look at the numbers and and look at what the projections are on on Steamer. I mean, they're talking about 160 plus innings for this guy with 160 plus strikeouts and an ERA of like three six. I'm in. I, I like where he's going, and I, and that's somebody that I'm definitely really interested in. I've had a couple of shares of him already. Yeah, absolutely. He's really put it together over the last couple of years and the key component for him that that I noticed that I was very close to writing a, a sleeper on him last year was that he really found his command in the second half of, of 21 um, especially with his fastball and pairing it with his with his change and his curveball yeah you know it's interesting too he was a big um a, a big uh, sleeper for everybody last year. I felt like uh, Patrick Sandoval was like on all of those lists heading into the year, and yeah. he had a de- he had a good year. But looking at his ADP, I, I feel like he's going even slightly later this year. He's going. It, I'm looking. He at, is, and that shocked yeah. me. Yeah, um, he's going around pick two fourteen right now. Um, so yeah, I think at his current price in that in that little pocket there, where you're probably getting like an SP four. I think he fits the bill there. So I'm, I'm with you, Mike. And it sounds like cool whip. You, you're definitely on board with that as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm definitely, so, and my, my pick for that would probably be, if not him, then his buddy going a few picks after him, um, at Reed Detmers. Mm-hmm. He really found the missing piece last year when he came back after being called up. And, you know, that happens to be a piece that I'm going to be writing for this next week where he fixed the mechanics of his slider and it really put it back in line with everything else that he offers that he was missing since he came up in 21 that was what the team saw from him when they drafted him in the first round. Yeah, if you look at his numbers uh, for in, in total for the year, they don't look that fantastic, right? Um, yeah. even just like, I'm looking more at his underlying stuff, like his Sierra was 4.12, uh, so mm-hmm. nothing outstanding there. Uh, but he really, it, it looks like he made some changes in the second half. So can you tell us a little bit more, Cool Whip, like specifically, um, you, you mentioned the slider, 
Uh, yeah. Tell us, what do you think he's going to, what Reed Detmers are we getting going into this year? Because he's got the pedigree, right? I mean, he yes. was top prospect, dominated yep. in the minors. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit more about him. Well, he he came up through the minors very quickly because he was he was mowing down batters all throughout the minors. So he's got the big K potential, and we just haven't seen a whole lot of that yet. And a lot of that was tied to the movement on his slider. Now, after he came back from the from being sent down, I'm looking at his uh, 71 innings he, he did after being called back up, and he had almost a 10K per nine, um, a three walk per nine, and an ERA of three with a with a FIP of 2.5. Hmm. So that's kind of the potential you're seeing from him right there once he got his mechanics right. Yeah, and I'm looking so, here. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, swinging strike rate really jumped from 9.3% in the first half to 135 in the second half. So, yes. whatever, you know, those changes definitely um, led to some significantly improved results there. Yeah, and kind of the key for that was, um, like I said, it was his mechanics, not necessarily a um, a grip or, or some other feature, but it was his mechanics. And it, it started out with his shoulder presentation. He went, okay. he started kind of drifting up higher to where he was getting over the top of his slider more. And, but then, but then in the follow through, he was pulling it through and it was getting more sweep. Now, usually that's good for pitchers to have some sweep, especially if that's not something that they currently feature. But for him, it worked against him. That what he needed was was actually more bite on it, and when you and if you look at his uh, velocity, his when he came back, his slider actually went up, and so it kind of it kind of turned into more of a hybrid with a cutter, in that it goes more straight down, but it has a lot of late life on it, mm-hmm. and that's and that's what keeps the batters off. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for, for breaking that down for us. Uh, Mike, what about you? Reed Detmers are at his current price. He's going right around Patrick Sandoval. Um, where are you at on him? Yeah, I think Detmers is a great choice too. I, I, I think just based on my bias, I, I like Sandoval more just because I've seen more. Um, but yeah. I, Detmer, Detmers is, you know, lightning in a bottle, you know, waiting to kind of happen there. And there are so many, I, f- I feel like in a couple of drafts that I've done, I feel like starting pitching is deeper than it gets credit for this year. And I would be really happy having either one of these two guys as my fourth starter, like we were just talking about. I'd be really happy with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I absolutely. think it depends a little bit on your team construct, right? Um, yes. You know, if you have guys that you got up front that you feel are a little bit more stable, um, then I think Detmers is the play at that price because I think the upside with him, you know, I'm like, I'm a pedigree snob, man. Like a mm-hmm. guy that was a first round pick, a guy who dominated the minors like that, like it could change really quick, you know, where, where the light bulb, you know, we saw flashes in the second half last year and we may see it for a more extended stretch this year. And when it, when it clicks, it's gonna, you know, like this dude can be, you know, a top of the rotation guy. So, 
Um, I'm definitely, I'm going to want, if I'm drafting 10 teams, he's a guy I'm going to want some exposure to, you know, have him on one or two at least um, at his current price because the upside is massive. Um, someone I'm looking at is uh, Taylor Ward. You know, we talked with Jeff about uh, is what yep. he did last season real? Um, and, you know, looking at the underlying skills, like everything, it's it's beautiful. Like, it, it's like looking at that profile, I feel like it needs that NSFW tag on it, man. Because it's just everything is just like pristine, you know, the contact rate, the hard hit rate. Um, mm-hmm. Everything from last year lines up, even with that little period where, you know, as Jeff talked about, like he was injured and performance mm-hmm. really suffered. Um, even factoring that in, everything looks beautiful. So I tend to think that this is for real. I think people are a little reluctant because he wasn't like a um, a, a big name prospect. He's an yeah. older player. Um, but I'm just looking at everything. You know, he's 29 years old. He was a first round pick. He was taken 26 overall. Yes. Um, I think part of the issue of why he's such an older player kind of emerging now is that he started out as a catcher. Um, yes. And I think he abandoned that. They moved in third base, I believe, in like yep. 2017 or 2018. So, mm-hmm. you know, learning a new position, like, uh, and a lot of that was the system trying to find a place for him because he right. was blocked in the outfield for the longest time. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, those are the things that w- we have to consider um, w- when we're looking at a, a, a player's. Uh, progression. So yeah, it took him a little bit longer to get to that point, but I, I do think that uh, we can rely on him. And especially, just forget everything I just said. The guy's going to be hitting leadoff in front of Otani and Trout. Um, I mean, man, if those guys even give you uh, three quarters of a season of full health, like just in the runs category, Taylor Ward should be good. I'm a guy who had a 360 OBP last season with uh, 11% walk rate. Um, so he's going to be on base. He's going to be scoring runs. And I think, again, all the metrics show the power is legit. He's a guy who's going to yep. get you 20, 25 home runs. And here's the other thing, too. I've talked about this on other pods, Mike, is this idea. Like, I want guys who are who have shown that they have good speed and have mm-hmm. shown at least an ability to steal bases because we just don't right. know who is going to make that leap. You know, some guys, there, there's going to be a handful of players that we're going to be like, holy shit, like all of a sudden they're like a 15 stolen base guy. Yeah. Uh, not saying Taylor Ward is that, but he's got the speed. Uh, he's projected for like anywhere from five to seven stolen bases. So who's to say all of a sudden he's not going to be more aggressive? And, you know, even if he takes, I don't know, gets like 10 to 11, that changes his valuation. And then when you yeah. factor in everything else he does, that's a damn good player. So he's a guy at his current ADP. Um, he's, he's someone I'm targeting at like my outfield three spot. Uh, there's like right. a cluster there with like a Seiya Suzuki, Taylor Ward, uh, Ian Happ going like around after that. Like I want uh, one of those guys, even Castellanos is part of that. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. want one of those guys as my outfielder three because outfield does dry up, guys. So don't feel really too long on it. And um, of the guys you mentioned, he feels kind of the safest of the bunch. Yes. Because yep. with, ha- with Happ, you do you're not sure what you're going to get in the average department from him. Mm-hmm. Say, uh, I still like him a lot, even from last year, because he more or less produced what I was expecting him to, to just in less at bats. Yeah. And 
And then who was the other? Oh, and then Cassianos. I he kind of bottomed out in power last year. I don't. I'm not sure what happened there. Yeah, I mean that that one's a little tricky. Um, I'm not a huge Cassianos guy, but he's more of like a projections based play for me because the projections like him, and it makes sense mm-hmm. given his track record. Mm-hmm. Um, not someone I'm going to be reaching for, but if those, he's probably. If I had to rank those four, I, I'd probably uh, Ward and Suzuki are close for me. A little different player, but kind mm-hmm. of, um, you know, I, I I think similar upside. So I'd say Ward, Suzuki, um, Castellanos, and then Hap. Um, if I had to rank those four, but yeah. But anyway, Ta- Taylor Ward, go get him. He he's a really good player. Um, any thoughts? Uh, anything to add on Taylor Ward, guys? Um, I probably agree with what Jeff had to say about his his injury. I I made a post towards the end of the season about um on actually I threw it up on Twitter about you can pretty much see the exact moment when the injury happened on his uh on a lot of his like rolling woba charts and stuff where where it just bottomed out at that point and then he has he had a slow climb back up after that. All right. Um. Anybody else? I. That uh, that you guys are looking at, Mike. Any thoughts on? I'm just looking right below on this list here, right below Taylor Ward is Hunter Renfro. Um, he's a guy I kind of like, like kind of boring. Uh, but if he's he, the if same he guy power, wherever he goes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you could pencil him in, assuming health, for 25 to 30 home runs pretty easily, and not a huge batting average strain. I think some people may have that kind of poor taste in their mouth from when he was mm-hmm. in San Diego and. I mean, yeah. he, his, his bad batting average really tanked there, but uh, his contact skills are not bad. His contact rate is like 74%. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, he's got the power. So, Mike, any interest in Hunter Renfro? Yeah, I have a lot, actually. I think what you said is spot on. I mean, when you really kind of dive into him a little bit more and take a, a look at him, people seem to really be worried about batting average drain, and I don't see him that way. I mean, he's actually a pretty low-risk guy. You You know what you're going to be getting. He's probably going to hit somewhere between 240 and 260. 260 might be a little high, 240, 250. And he's going to hit 25 to 30 home runs. And he's going to play, and he's going to play well. And he's just a guy that you can plug in and kind of forget about. And I think one of the mistakes that we make a lot in fantasy is that we go after the new, sexy, shiny toy that we think might be the next big thing and let guys like Renfro kind of sit out there on the vine. And at the end of the day, he he produces. You don't right. know what somebody else is going to be able to produce if you're looking at a guy that's a first or second year player and they've got pedigree and you're licking your chops thinking that you're going to draft him two or three rounds ahead of where he probably should go. That's a fool's play. You know, a guy, a guy like Renfro, it, it, depending on where you can get him, it is really going to be a good value for you, I think. Very well said. Yeah. Um, okay. Transitioning now, Mike, you are the, uh, the closer guy over here. So tell me. We mentioned Carlos Estevez a few times or in the interview and even at the top of this segment. But what are your thoughts on him uh, as as a closer too? And just for reference, he's going at an ADP of 255. So tell me, Mike, you in or you out on Carlos Estevez? I am, I am very much in, and I was really glad w- that Jeff agreed with that when we asked him about it in the pod. You know, when you cover bullpens, it's it's a crazy thing, right? I mean... Half of them are going to be unsettled by the end of the first month, and you're you're trying to guess on who's going to be what. But I really, when we do our podcasts, I really listen to what the 
beat reporters have to say because obviously they know better than me. They're close to the team. And so I always kind of hold my breath when they're on with us and we're asking the bullpen questions because I like to think that I know, but sometimes we really don't. I think this is a great under-the-radar signing. I think this might be one of the best signings of the winter. When you really look at what Estevez was able to do and how he kind of flew under the radar in Colorado because he wasn't closing there. Um, and Daniel Bard had a great season last year and a great, you know, coming out of nowhere story to come back into the major leagues at age 35, you know. So a lot of this got lost. But Estevez is um, – a guy that's got really good stuff and, and it's really good stuff when it played away from courts. You know, if you really look at, at his statistics for last year, he had a bad month that really kind of skewed the data a little bit. You know, it, it was May for him. He had an ERA of 8.22 and four home runs given up. But after the all-star break, if you look at what he did, he had two wins, a 140 ERA, 0.78 whip. And I, I, I know that those aren't like, the greatest telling statistics, but I share those because those are stats that we need for our game. He had a save, 27 strikeouts and 25 and two-thirds innings. And so we know that he's got big fastball velocity. We know that strikeouts have somewhat lagged compared to some of his other peers that work in bullpens. But do you know, when you look at his K-minus walk rate away from cores last year, 24.2. Now, that speaks to me a little bit. I mean, that yeah. that's really something that I think could be a really telling away from course. And quite honestly, no offense to the Angels bullpen, but Jimmy Herget and Jose Cajada and 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 Ryan Tapera are not guys that are going to strike the fear of God into you as closers. I think this is his job unless he blows it. Um the only way that I could see there being something different there, and I've heard and in cool you might know better than I do about this, but I've heard that they're kicking the tires on Zach Britton a little bit. And so that could kind of rain all over our parade. But Steamer likes him too. Steamer's calling for 18 saves for Estevez. An ERA that's a little on the high side, I think, at 3.93, but 61 strikeouts and 57 innings. I think he might actually pitch more than that. And I think he's going to have the opportunity to pull down some saves there. I'm definitely interested in him uh, as a closer late. Um, if I, if I miss out on, you know, the top guys, which I'm still kind of torn as to what I'm going to do with that. But if I get a guy that's a 30 save guy in the first five or six rounds, and I'm looking to fill in at the back end. He's definitely someone I'm interested in. And that ADP is ridiculous. I think that's going to shoot up, especially if we find out that he's got the job in spring, which I think we will. Yeah, and just uh, to point out, you mentioned his splits away from home. That K-minus walk percentage, 24% last year away from cores. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's really nice. Um, the one thing, so I, I do want to point out, uh, his home away splits for his career, home 4.60 xFIP versus a 4.12 away xFIP. So definitely better away from cores, but not like lockdown. You know, not not indicative of that 24% came on his walk from last year. So sure. you know, maybe I'm nitpicking here. I- I'll tell you one dilemma, and you let me know what you think. Cool whip. I uh, I was in a draft champions, which is one of these 15 team draft and yep. hold leagues. Um, and I had already taken Rysel Iglesias in the fourth round. So I had my, what I felt like was my lockdown closer. I want to get one of those guys in, in that range, uh, for my closer one. Um, and then I needed a closer two. And I think this was in like the 16th round. Uh, and I had a choice, uh, Kyle Finnegan, Carlos Estevez, and, uh, Jorge Lopez. 
I ended up going with Finnegan. And I had some concern about that because of the team that he's on. Uh, but I know, like, 95% chance he's the guy, right? Estevez, he, we think he's the guy. But here's the thing. We don't, if he has a couple bad games, like, they're, they have no ties to him, right? Like, there's not going to be a super long leash. Yes. And if he's not the closer, it's not like, you know, with some of these guys, I could at least justify, like, all right, if worst case scenario, they don't get the job, at least I get, you know, a guy who I could plug in who has really good skills and, and maybe could just protect my ratios. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's not really that, right? So he's basically, you're burning a 16th round pick, which is valuable in that type of league on a guy who's given you really a zero. Mm-hmm. So tell me, cool. If, would you have done the same thing? Just please make me feel better. <laughs> um, I'm not sure that I would have. I might have been. Um, what's the situation with Lopez? Because I think I might have gone with him. Am I missing a situ- part of the situation there? <laughs> no, I mean, he's going to split with Duran. Uh, he didn't look right. good in the second half after going yep. to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, people are saying he had personal issues and the trade was, you know, it was a tough transition for him. I don't know. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. it was Jorge Lopez regressing to Jorge Lopez. Um, so I'm, I'm like a right. little bit leery with him. Too. I think he'll get opportunities out of the gate, but if it's not mm-hmm. there again, I can't imagine the twins are going to really, uh, keep putting him out there. So I don't okay. know. Uh, so you think you're leaning Lopez out of all those guys though, out of those three? Um, I think I still am at least as of. This date, January thirty first. I am <laughs> okay. I, I okay. think I think I'm still going to lean on the improvements that he made and hope that a off season gets him back on track. There's been a lot of talk too, Torres, about um, Greg Jewett has talked about this quite a bit, and I agree oh, with him yeah. that that yeah, that Dur- Duran is not going to be the closer just because of the fact that they want to try to control the arbiters a little bit more and what they pay him, right. especially now that they owe Correa a ton of money. Um, so there's, there's some talk that Lopez will end up being the closer and that Duran might end up being a guy that becomes like that multi-inning stopper role, which he was really good at last year. Yeah. So, you know, taking Finnegan right now looks like a good move just because of the fact that he's pretty much assured that role. But I also wonder if Washington will look to trade him at some point as he's an asset. And they also have lurking the often injured Hunter Harvey. Um, who um, I, you know, could get some opportunities there too. They have no reason; they got nothing to play for. So, all right. Well, I was looking for some validation, and I got none. So, sorry, you. <laughs> I apologize, buddy. Sorry. All right. Well, listen. Here's another guy, and I think we'll be past this point in the draft by the time this comes out. But uh, a guy that I'm targeting late in that same draft is Jose Suarez, who we mentioned with Jeff and. Uh, Jeff talked about him maybe being impacted by the pitch clock. So that's like just such an unknown, right? We have no yeah. idea who's going to be affected. And I didn't realize he was one of those guys who works really slow. Uh, but he really very, he, he impressed me, um, at the end of last season. So, um, yes. you know, I, I think he's a guy who's kind of being forgotten about. Um, uh, but. But we saw a pitch mix change and, you know, some mm-hmm. people kind of poo-poo like the second half splits like, oh, well, maybe it was just a hot streak. But when we could point to a tangible change, you know, in a pitch yes. mix change, I, I, I think we have to pay attention because with pitchers, it could come on. It, the light light bulb can go on so quickly 
Um, and I think with Suarez, he could be one of those guys. I mean, it feels like he's been around forever, but he's only 25. And for pitchers, that's definitely like, that's the time a lot of these guys figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really raced through the minors. He was, I think, made it to AAA by 20 years old. So that just shows you, like, there's some ability there that he showed at a young age. And it could be just his time putting it together. So, uh, Cool Whip, what are your thoughts on Suarez going into this year? Are, are you a believer? I I am a tentative believer. Huh? I'm, I'm a believer in that I like what I saw at the end of the season. Um, the key thing that I'm concerned about that you pointed out was the pitch clock change and how that will affect his tempo. Mm-hmm. Because with it, with all pitchers, there's a comfort level to it, to their kind of native tempo that they that they produce. And I'm curious to see how that's going to affect his pitchability and and kind of how he manages the batter. Um, but I do like the changes he made in that one being the increase in the slider and two being the sequencing with the slider and how he and how he kind of reformulated how he pairs that and and that produced um some very nice results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the first half he had uh this was for 45 innings, a 365 woba that went down to a 264 woba in 64 innings in the second half and um I think I shared a, a chart with you guys or maybe this was for Justin Steele. Uh but it was very similar with both of yeah. them. Uh, they, the, the chart, it's like a perfect inverse relationship, their XFIP and their slider usage. Uh, so, you know, those are two guys and they're going, Steel is going a little bit before Suarez. Um, mm-hmm. but I want like one of those guys in that pocket, uh, pretty much in every draft because I feel like yeah. I just want some exposure to, all right, maybe this was real. Maybe they are taking that step forward by revamping their pitch mix. So. Uh, definitely Suarez. I, I'm going to pay attention. I, I had no idea he was like a super slow worker, uh, but we're we're just going to have to, I mean, there's just so much unknown going into this year, man. Just with all the rule changes. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know what the hell to do with that. But uh, <laughs> all right. Any Before we wrap up this segment, anybody else, guys, that uh, that you're looking at or interested in at their price. And I, I'll transition into the next thing. And, you know, uh, maybe it's one of these guys going past pick 500. You know, are there any deep sleepers that, that you're looking at that you'd like to um, invest in this year? Um, well, I guess prior to going to the deep sleeper route, um, I will talk about um, Luis Ringifo. I'm right. very, in- yep, you I'm had very an article interested last in- week about him. Yeah. I did. And I'm, I'm very interested in him this year, and I think, and the more and more I think about it, um, I miss what Jeff had to say about about him. But I think he's going to have a prominent role in the team. Is he, in part, because he's the only middle the only middle infielder that can bat lefty, and a lot of the pitchers in the division, there's not a lot of scary lefties. There's there's Robbie Ray and there's Framber. That's it. Mm-hmm. And so all the rest of the challenging pitchers in division are righties. And right now, the Angels lineup, though I like the depth that they've created now, it's very righty heavy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only lefties you have right now are Otani and Walsh. 
uh, besides Renhifo, who's a, a switch hitter. Um, mm-hmm. That's an interesting point. So you're thinking that because uh, he's the only middle infielder that can bat left-handed, he's going to get some additional playing time. You know, I don't think we even, we should have asked that, Mike. I don't think we've really talked much about Renhifo. Um, I just, I don't know. I'm just like not super into him this year. Um, well, he's I not mean, super into you either, so that's okay. <laughs> all right, well, fine. You know, like, <laughs> you can go find somebody else. Um, but uh, I don't know. Like, I just look at the metrics and I, I'm just not seeing anything. His final numbers were good last year. I, I, mean, mm-hmm. I can't deny that, but uh, he's probably going to hit at the bottom of the lineup. I don't think he's, I mean, do you think like, Urshela is going to get some time at short cool whip. Like, do you see like some um, in and out? I think with the changes in the shift, primarily, you're going to see less and less of guys like Urshela playing shortstop. Okay, fair point. And I I see Urshela is more of an insurance policy for Rendon. Mm -hmm. I see him mostly filling in the gaps at third base. Maybe we see him get a few innings here and there at shortstop, but I I think they're going to fill that void with someone else. And I think I think Renhifo um, poses to be the top beneficiary of that. Mm-hmm. What about plucky little David Fletcher? Guy <laughs> never goes away. <laughs> you know, I the, he's going to get play time. Um, probably a little bit less now that Madden's gone. Because because that was his boo, but um, <laughs> I I I think he'll still get some play for sure. But he's definitely going to. I think he's going to start off on the bench. Yeah, for sure. He's another one of those guys, Torres, that I feel is like a, a better baseball player in real life than he is in fantasy. You know, absolutely. Like, he is one hundred percent a better real world player. <laughs> no, I, I would I would love him yeah. to play second base for the White Sox. I I would be thrilled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. So. Yeah, I I see yeah, him splitting you're, you're time still, uh, with Drury. Uh huh. Sorry, I see him splitting time with Drury at second, and then Drury okay. m- moving over to first base, probably against uh, lefties. Mm-hmm. And then um, I I've heard a lot of talk about Walsh getting some time in the outfield this year too. Okay, mm-hmm. so your boy Luis Renhifo going around pick yes. three hundred sounds like sounds like he's a buy for you. Multi position eligibility. Mm-hmm. Second base yes. and third base. So that that's definitely, especially in these draft and hold formats, that's a plus. So you're yes. in, Mike, real quick, yes or no? Um, yeah, I, I think so late. I mean, I, if I don't hit on – I've been kind of going heavy middle infield early in draft so far this year. So I haven't had any uh, exposure to him. But I definitely think that he's going to play and – uh, he's he definitely has the capability of putting up double digits and home runs and steals, which I'm always interested in. Yeah, yes, yeah, the steal side get... as, as well. What's that? The steal side as well, as we talked about, with the need to pick up some cheap steals. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And let me tell you, you brought up a good point, Mike. I mean, middle infield, man. Like, you better get on that early. You know, I talked about outfield being, you know, how it thins out quick. I'm gonna in a draft now and it's just like i missed glaber torres was um my target you know because i didn't love uh, i wanted other guys up top and i thought glaber was like just a perfect pick at where he was going and i got sniped on him and then i'm really like i'm just waiting and 
I'm not really liking the guys there, but it got to a point in the draft where I'm like, oh my God, like I'm going to be stuck with like, <laughs> you know, some like part time player in my second mm-hmm. base spot or, or my middle infield. So you got to make sure that in these drafts, uh, you, you get on that quick because you might be stuck in a, in a really bad spot. Uh, but anyway, we're going to move past that. Um, let me ask you guys, who are some players, um, going past pick, uh, 500 in some of these early drafts that you're interested in uh, at their current price? Now, one guy that I'm interested in here, uh, we talked a little bit about with Jeff that came up was Chase Silseth. Um, I, I think he's a really interesting situation considering that they're going with the six-man rotation and there's no guarantee that Canning is healthy or that Davidson's going to be able to hold on that job. Um, he's a really interesting guy if you look at what he did in the minor leagues. And I think he's got, you know, we talk about pedigree, Chris, all the time, and he's definitely got some of that. He was dominant and filthy at double A last year. Um, and he only threw about 83 innings or so, I think, in there, but like was really, really good. And uh, looks like he could be a guy that could come on pretty quickly given an opportunity. Um, definitely somebody late that I'm willing to take a chance on, depending on, again, like makeup of your league and what you're in. So, like, I mean, I think if you're like doing like a DC, like I would still, still Seth is a guy that I definitely would take a shot on late. Cool whip. Any thoughts? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I like some of what I saw from Silseth last year. Um, and as you said, he did, he performed pretty admirably in the minors before he got called up. Um, when he came up, he started off pretty good, but then it seemed like the big league got, got a little tough for him. Um, but I, th- I think I can see him step, stepping up. And, and making some adjustments and playing, playing a pretty uh, pivotal role at the back of that, of that rotation as the season goes on for sure. Yeah. And he um, is going super, super late. I mean, pick 660, yes. um, him and Griffin Canning was going after pick 700. I, I think those are two yeah. guys that are definitely worth a flyer on at, at that mm-hmm. point if you're in one of these deep leagues. Yeah. Yeah. Griffin Canning has, has been a lot of, uh, very much a forgotten guy on this staff um, ever since going down with injury and all these other names that have come in and kind of shuffled in and out um, over the past year and a half or so. But he, the, the organization had a lot of hope for him um, when he's, when he started um, in the rotation before he got injured and it was looking like he was starting to put some pieces together. So definitely someone to watch for, for sure. Um, One person I like um, after 500 that, you know, it's always that one person that you can't quite give up on is uh is Kyle Lewis. He's had a lot of tough luck with the injury, but mm-hmm. he clearly made some advancements um in his plate approach um in that uh in that rookie of the year kind of campaign that he had. And I'm st- I'm still looking for a little bit of that lightning in a bottle to come back if he can stay healthy and that if is the size of the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. So I'll be honest with you. I, I should have phrased the question better, but I, you said Kyle Lewis, and I'm like, holy crap, did I miss Kyle Lewis going to the Angels? Because, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm such a, I'm going to look like an ass. Like, I'm talking about this team. I don't even know who's on them. Um, no, yeah. Uh, I was talking about Angels <laughs> past pick 500, but that's a good gotcha. one. 
uh, for the Diamondbacks. But uh, yeah, you, you scared me there. I'm like looking through uh, <laughs> sports. Well. I'm like, oh my god, did I miss something? Um, okay, yeah, definitely Kyle Lewis. I'm I'm with you on that. A, a guy worth taking a flyer on. Um, what about Tucker Davidson? He's going literally the last pick. Like he hasn't yeah. even been taken in any mm-hmm. of these drafts. And Jeff Fletcher said he thinks he's the guy who's going to get that sixth spot. So uh, I don't honestly know too much about him, man. But looking mm-hmm. at his his numbers last year is brutal. It, at least at the major yeah. league level. Mm-hmm. Um, in Atlanta at AAA, he gave you eighty innings. Um, his xFIP in eighty AAA innings was three point three four, so pretty good. Yeah. Um, but when he came up just fell apart and maybe it was a trade or you know we, we got to consider that as he's that's a tough transition especially for a young player so any interest in him cool whip um i haven't done a lot of digging into into his stats per se so i can't say for sure right now but that the back end of that road of the rotation for that sixth spot is pretty open so i would definitely consider a flyer on that in the in on the chance that he gets the position for sure. Yeah, I mean, if it's me, I'm probably looking at um, Silseth at his price. And again, mm-hmm. if, if you're getting a guy who's in the rotation, and you know, we don't know uh, yeah. if he's going to stick, but at least he's shown in the minors uh, that he can do it. So a, a few interesting guys there going super super late if you're in one of these um, draft champions leagues. So. Anyway, we are going to uh, wrap up in a few minutes here, but uh, something we like to do with our show is incorporate a little something non-baseball, and uh, we call it the Mental Health Minute, um, where we talk about something that we're doing to maintain our overall wellness. Could be our physical health, could be our mental health. Um, you know, we want people to walk away with hopefully something that they can incorporate into their own lives, and. Uh, you know, so I, I want to start with you, Mike. Any anything that you're doing recently? I know you are crazy busy. Um, <laughs> you got to be uh, finding ways to keep your head on straight. So tell me, what are you doing right now, Mike, uh, to maintain your wellness? You know, one of the things I I do with my kids at school. Um, I'm a principal at a therapeutic school here. Is um, every Tuesday I host a coffee club for the kids that were the top point earners the week before, the ones that are doing really well. And then every other week I do one with the kids that aren't doing so hot and I bring them in and, and do that. And my message to them this week was really that doing the best that you can might look different every day, depending on what that day entails. Right. So some of our kids have part time jobs and they're going to school full time and doing that. And they don't have a lot of resources to be able to handle a lot of the things that are coming their way. So one of the messages that I've been sort of, quote unquote, preaching the last couple of weeks is, what looks great today and it looks like your best today, tomorrow might not look as great. And so if you know in your mind and in your heart that you are doing the best that you can with what you have that day, I'm cool with you and you're going to be cool with me. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah. And, and kind of just like uh, what I wanted to talk about and this kind of ties into it is like this idea of just like removing judgment. You know, we we tend mm-hmm. to be uh, so judgmental or some of us more than others, but I know for myself, I'm very hard on myself, you know, and tend to judge, you know, my best, even even if it's my best. Sometimes I'll look at it and, and be like, oh, that's not good enough and and kind of put this negative spin on it. And, uh, you know, I think we need to just kind of approach these thoughts with uh, or, or situations with curiosity as opposed to judgment. And I'm going to find a way to tie this into fantasy to sec here, because 
I think sometimes when we um, when we feel like we're on one side or the other, like if we're like on the analytics side or we're on the non-data side, you know, we tend to look at what the other side does with this this kind of negative judgment, this this negative spin mm-hmm. we put on it. And I see that sometimes, like you know, like when let's say um, some of these like very very smart data-driven people. Um, when they're talking to people who are more like, you know, subjective, not data driven, and and they're looking at them, and I just see the way they come across sometimes in their interaction is kind of like condescending, right? And the other side, the same thing. Like, I think there's like this perception, oh, those are just nerds that are just like focused on, you know, they don't even watch the games. Um, what I try to do, whether it's in life, and I'm not always successful at this, <laughs> uh, or it's in like looking at fantasy baseball stuff is just approach it with curiosity, right? And and just kind of take everything in and not label it as good or bad or, you know, like just putting this, um, uh, you know, putting this judgment on it, just saying, okay, this is information. I'm going to take it and, you know, see what I can get out of it. But again, approach it with curiosity. Um, And and I think it's like kind of like a Buddhist way to live, like this non-judgmental, uh, approach to things, but it, it's been very enriching for my life, and uh, I know for many others. So that's my my quick tidbit there. Uh, cool Whip, anything else? Uh, anything you wanted to add or share that you're doing to maintain your overall wellness? Um, you know, there's a lot of stressors in the world today, and some of them are things that we put upon ourselves, and some of these are things that others put on us. Um. And I find that one of the biggest releases of that is doing something to help someone else decompress. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you find that that oftentimes is the key component to your own decompression. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that would be my contribution is if you're having a hard time, help someone else get out of their hard time. Right. Right. Yeah, that I I think we talked about that. I don't uh I think this was like two episodes ago, Mike. I, I think we brought that up the idea of just uh sometimes when we're having a hard time, we need to focus outward, you know? Yep. When when we're struggling, we tend to, you know, turn inward and let let's let's go the opposite route, that opposite action in DBT and and, and go contribute and and do something uh for somebody else. Uh, absolutely. Uh Mike, anything to to add to that? No, I think that's spot on, guys. I mean, I, the more that we can be out of our own heads, um, that can be a dangerous place to be sometimes. You know, sometimes it's three o'clock in the morning when you get stuck in that place. It's really hard to get out of it, right? So I think the more that we can do for each other, the more that we can kind of reach out to our friends and our family and, and do those things. Again, just what you what is your best today might be different tomorrow. You know, reaching out for connection is so key. And it, we... We're coming out on the other side of this COVID stuff, apparently. Government's talking about it being over in May here with uh, all the warnings and everything that we've had of restrictions and whatnot. We got to reach out for connection and we got to stay connected. That's going to be a really key thing in all of this. And something that I definitely see in our society and with, uh, especially with my students is that lack of connection. So I think we need to do that. And And I really think that doing things like this is really helpful. I mean, Sitting around talking about baseball with your friends, having a cup of coffee, drinking some water, whatever it is that you're doing, just hanging out and talking about that stuff is a release from the stress of the day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. 
Yep. And uh, I totally agree, Mike. I think that's uh, the root cause of a lot of the increased mental health issues that we're seeing is this lack of connection. Uh, and, and COVID amplified that by a thousand, right? I mean, we're kind of headed there mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. but obviously with, with the way, you know, remote work became so popular and, uh, just like the people being so attached to their, their phones or, you know, um, it, it, it really has, uh, had an impact on people. So we do need to get back to that. Uh, but we, that's a discussion. Uh, we could have a whole nother podcast on that. Um, but uh, we are going to leave it there for today. All right. That's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, appreciate you coming on, Cool Whip. It was a blast. Uh, please tell our listeners where they can find your work. You can find my work um, on the Twitter. I, I post it under my feed on at CoolWhipRB. And then you can find it on Razzball.com. All right. And Mike, you got anything uh, anything cooking over there at Fantrax? I got something coming out this weekend, but I couldn't tell you what it is. All right. Well, you got plenty of time to figure it out. <laughs> For sure. It's out. Tomorrow's only Wednesday, Chris. So I got a few days to kind of Absolutely. crank something out here, right? So. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, we'll be looking forward to that and, uh, be looking forward to our next episode. We've got, uh, the Dodgers next week. We've got, uh, Fabian Ardian of the athletic coming, coming on with us. He's the beat writer for the Dodgers over there. And uh, Vlad Sedler will be joining us for the fantasy follow-up segment. So a uh, a episode that I am looking forward to as well. But uh, that is it for now. For Mike, for Carlos, Cool Whip, for me, you've been listening to the Fantasy Baseball Beat.